Each episode of the Blind Alchemy podcast is designed to be helpful. Expect comedy. Do not expect consistency or sense to be made. I am Podbot. I was inspired by the Lion Goat podcast. Listen to that show. Today's episode includes a discussion about Gnosticism, a collection of religious ideas and systems from the late 1st century AD among Jewish and early Christian sects, featuring TikTok's DJ SKS, aka Lunchbox. Fucking Ted. Alright, folks. Hello and welcome to the Blind Alchemy Podcast. I am your host, the Blind Alchemist, and I am coming at you live from the kitchen with this rendition of reality as we know it. We are all one, and there is nothing new under the sun that shines down here upon the island of mind, which is somewhere adrift in the sea of frequency that creates all of reality. You see, we are connected through this energy. Now, I would like to thank you for joining us today. Today's topic is Gnostics. The Gnostics. Gnosticism. What does it mean? Who are they? Uh, These are questions we'll attempt and fail miserably at answering. Today is a very special episode. Uh, With us today is uh, our awesome TikTok friend, DJ SKS. Yo, like the gun, man. (laughs) Bro. Yeah. Setting caps of truth off up in here. And our other guest today is Gnorbert Gnomes. Uh, because apparently uh, Patricia misunderstood and uh, invited a gnome expert. So I don't know what you're bringing to the table, sir. Well, what do you got, Gnorbert? Pardon me, it's Gnorman Gnorbert. Oh, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> this is a show about gnomes, right? We're trying to gnormalize gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. You're the first person who's understood. I've been on the, my quest to gnormalize gnomes for centuries now. I've traveled all throughout the world. I went to uh, Gnome, Alaska, and I tried to explain to the folks up there that the garden gnome is the most pleasurable of the gnome myths. It does bring a lot of pleasure. You see it in a lot of people's front yards. Sometimes you see it in their backyards. They're rarely in gardens, though, and that's the quite shame because the garden gnome loves corn, it loves um, tomatoes and peas. It's very important that we bring the gnomes back to the garden. They are the uh, treasure's security system of the fantasy realm. They do protect your vegetables from all sorts of pests and um, thieves in the night. Well, I'm sorry, were you saying garden gnome? I thought it was guarding, like he was a security guard. Guarding gnome. That is a common misunderstanding. Uh, It actually does come from the ancient language of the gnomes. Uh, The word garden and the word guard, they actually have the same etymological root in the gnome language of... uh, I can see that. I can see that. Is that that true? Ted, let's get some research done on that. Uh, I'm not going to trust an armchair expert on gnomes. 
because that's important today. Are you guarding your vegetables, folks? Get yourself a garden gnome, preferably one with a big white beard and a pointy red hat. They do the best work. It is a common myth that the garden gnome were popularized when uh, Sir Frank Crisp, the owner of the second largest collection of garden gnomes in the UK, opened his Friar Park. Henley on Thames estate to the public at least once a week from 1910 to 1919. That's complete farce. It's not true at all. I just want to say that Philip Griebel's descendants are still producing garden gnomes in Germany. So if you're looking for a garden gnome, please look up Philip Griebel's descendants in Germany. The last one I got was at a ball game. <laughs> you got a ball game, Mom? It was an, a gnome that they gave me at the ball game. Um, I got a picture with one, and then they gave me like a little one to take home. Oh, cool. That's great. <laughs> Sounds like a fantastic day at the park. Yeah, yeah. What kind of ball was it? Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, there's baseball gnomes. I didn't know. I'm learning stuff every day here. It wasn't anybody's mascot. I don't know why there were gnomes there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they're general purpose gnomes. They're excellent in all circumstances. Uh, gnomes bring joy wherever gnomes are found. Besides their protective abilities, they offer great abilities of companionship. Um, if sometimes when you're feeling lonely, if you have a statue of a gnome, as opposed to an actual gnome, you know, actual gnomes are the best sort of friends that a man can have. Um, but the little statues of gnomes, can, they can be fun too. Is this a podcast that you talk about gnomes often on? No, this is our first time discussing gnomes here, sir. I'm glad you're here. It's very enlightening. It has nothing to do with Gnosticism at all, but I appreciate your input. I really do. Um, Patricia, you're fired, by the way. Uh, are you talking about the Gnostics? Yeah, the Gnostics. Gnosticism. Yeah. Gnostic gnomes. Gnostic, Gnostic gnomes. <laughs> the Gnostics were not big fans of gnomes. <laughs> they were quite exclusionary, and they left out all of the great tales of the Gnome Christ in all of their Gospels. But there was an aeon for the Gnomes in the Pleroma. Uh, it is not well known, but it is true. He wasn't crucified, he just got lost in a peat bog. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen our savior? He got lost, I can't find him anywhere. Next time I saw him, he was down there headed toward the bog to save the bog monster. I just want to make sure that no one is mistaken. Uh, when I mention the Pleroma, I'm not talking about the genus of the flowering plant in the family Melastomycea. I'm pretty sure you're talking about placentas, and we can't have that on our show. Say again, sir? Placentas? We're not talking about placentas. No, Pleromas. The Pleroma. That's what I said, placentas. I'm not speaking about the species of subshrubs or shrubs or trees. I'm not talking about the petoliate or uh, sessile leaves of the Pleroma plant species. Are you talking about Pavlov's dog? I think that dog's name was Henry. No, 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 the, the Pleroma. <laughs> All right. If you're gonna talk about the Gnostic, like I actually wrote my book. <laughs> There's a few things that you have to like take into consideration. Right. So like I said, you have to go back a little bit further than the actual Gnostics, if you want to understand where they came from. Right. And how their belief system, I guess you could say. You know Gnosis is for, for knowledge, right? Right, right. But it's a special kind of knowledge. It's a intimate, personal understanding. It's actually focused more on understanding than just flat-out knowledge. Right. It's, 
it's understanding how things work. That's what we're all about here at the Blind Alchemy Podcast. But before the Gnostics, we had the Kabbalists. Mm -hmm. And these were within the same circles or would have been the same circles just a few centuries earlier. And they would not just flat out deny knowledge from other people. They chose to study it all. Right. Every bit of it. So that tradition was handed down after Christ was born into the Gnostics. One of the greatest things that I think they found in those uh, Dead Sea Scrolls was copies of Plato's Republic, the Greek work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just nothing to do with the Abrahamic faiths at all. Well, uh, it does, have, there's a tie-in with the Demiurge, with the Gnostic creation myth there, because uh, what's his name? Y'all the Bowl is supposed to be the Demiurge in the Gnostic creation right. myth. That's one of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so complicated, man. I did, I've made mention of it before in a couple other episodes, but like I said, it's seven pages of notes and I don't even have but half of it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, um, there's a couple of uh, resources that I wanted to give you all too. If you, if, uh, since okay. you, you have a pen to write them down. Yeah. There's a couple of YouTube channels that go hand in hand. Uh, one of them is Religion for Breakfast. And the other one is let's talk about religion. Yeah. Those two guys, yes. they work together quite often and they do an excellent analysis of some of the Gnostic works. Yeah. I got all my stuff from the master classes. <laughs> yeah. The other one is Esoterica. Yes. I love that guy. He also has a lot available for that. Okay. Now, if you're talking about like just strictly the Christian Gnostics, I suggest if you can find it, an Ethiopian Orthodox Bible. Uh, has like a ton of stuff that was omitted from the King James Version. It's like they never threw anything out. No. But again, we run into the problem of there were things that were never quite included. But even so, if you can get your hands on a a Catholic Bible that's got the Apocrypha in it. I have a copy of the Apocrypha. Right. Inheriting a big family Bible that had that in there. Well, that was what led me down that path. Yeah. Especially one particular book, The Wisdom of Solomon. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Solomon is this revered character, but at the same time, he kind of broke a lot of God's laws, you know? Yeah. And besides having many wives, he, like, funded temples to their gods, you know? He just would give them money to build whatever they needed to worship whatever god they wanted to worship. <laughs> uh, that's hard to reconcile with a lot of the, the uh, Abrahamic faiths. Right. But one of the elements that's in the wisdom of Solomon is this female divine, Sophia. Mm -hmm. And she is like the source of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Understanding. Um, And that, I think, had a lot to do with why they omitted a lot of this stuff, was because they didn't ever want that female presence. They didn't want to empower a woman in the church. Right. They focused on the patriarchy. Yeah. Have you gotten to read the Book of Thomas yet? I've been through a few of those. Well, that's probably one of the most important ones. Like, if you read one, read that one. Yeah, that's the one where Thomas gets pulled aside by Christ, and he tells him something really crazy, I guess. And the rest of the disciples are like, uh, what'd he tell you? (laughs) And he's like, it's better for you to fucking die a fiery death by meteors than know what I know now. Wow, that's epic. Well... It's Thomas's account. It's his quotations, the ones that he chose to write down that he thought were important. And they paint Christ in a almost a Buddhist light. There was a lot more of being oneness with the world instead of trying to single out people. Mm-hmm. 
is everybody is together. <laughs> we are one. Yeah. And they didn't like that either. No. It's hard to villainize, you know, a certain group of people if we're all one. <laughs> so we really didn't uh, have a whole lot about them until really about the 1700s was the, the first time we kind of got a glimpse. And then when Nag Hammadi was discovered is when we got a whole big chunk of mm -hmm. what these people actually knew and revered, obviously, you know, they, enough to, to hide it and keep it. This was probably as a result of Babylon's conquer. Like they were doing kind of like what ISIS did. They were going through and destroying stuff that they didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. So there were very few people that got to hide all this knowledge away. <laughs> he got lucky if he got to keep any of it, I imagine. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the research that I was doing, I saw that they were talking about how these were the apocryphal gospels and that the Catholic Orthodox Church was pushing forward the idea that they weren't necessarily secret or hidden, but they were purposefully buried so that the Gnostics' ideas wouldn't be continued in the faith. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's true based on you know, the Nag Hammadi findings? I think what happened was you had a, a power structure that had the resources to print their material, whatever ideology they wanted to, in mass. And they chose not to include the things that didn't support their ideology. You know, and so whether or not, I, I know they participated in like acquiring this stuff and keeping it sequestered, but they also flooded the market with their own propaganda. You know, so you have a far reaching press uh, that's giving you one side of it and they're not including anything else. So unless you actually traveled to the area and found these people that kept the stuff, you never would have, never would have heard that message. Yeah, I think it was strictly just uh, flooding the market with, with the resources of being able to print that much material. <laughs> yeah. What do you think was the intention behind that? Oh, it was a total power grab. The Catholic Church has been that since its real inception, inception yeah. right up until England broke away from it, you know? Um, once England broke away, the, Brit the entire British Empire was like a key, a big section of it. And if they broke away, they lost half their faith, you know? So was that just to push the sort of neoplatonic good concept or, you know, the, the monad concept? <laughs> now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. Just imagine this could be your advertisement. Please reach us at theblindalchemypodcast at gmail.com to provide sponsorship. And now, back to the show. My question was about the motivation to push forward the platonic idea of the good or the all-is-everything concept of the good versus the concepts of the individual different deities of the different regions you know there's like the idea of Yahweh was the deity over the region of Israel and then there's other deities for different regions and the Catholic Church wanted to push this concept of well at least some of the interpretations that the Catholic Church wanted to push this concept of like an individual a single God or the God of the New Testament versus the God of the Old Testament oh absolutely they again if 
they want to control somebody, they have to be able to single out groups and if we're all one. Uh, so they couldn't include those other gods. You know, they had to put them on the villain list. Um, but at the same time, you can't reconcile the teachings of Christ when he comes along because they are, they differ so greatly from some of the concepts that were pushed in the Old Testament. So now you have to make him all one God, and, and that's, you know, the basis of the whole Trinity idea, was that way we can encompass these different concepts, the Old Testament and New Testament, and still make it all come from the same God. But most of the Jews at the time, they did believe in other gods. Um, I mean, even in the Old Testament, one of the things I've always pushed was that line about, let us create God in our image. You know, it's very, very clear. It says that um, in the Hebrew, it is not only plural, but both male and female. Uh, that actual pronoun is specifically like both genders. And the argument that we get from a lot of the modern Christians is that they're talking about the Trinity. But I mean, at this point in time in the Bible's history, like man hasn't even created the first sin. So he hasn't decided to send a son yet. You know, he hasn't even tried the flood. He hasn't... <laughs> There's lots of things that haven't happened to warrant the sun, and the Jews that wrote it down didn't believe in the sun. So that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about other gods. He sits on the divine council of gods. So they call it monolatry instead of monotheism. It's a monolatry. So they recognized other gods. They only chose to worship one. You know, that's something I never have been able to nail down is why Yahweh chose Abraham to make that covenant. And what exactly was that about? Because everything I've looked into about the history of Yahweh, it comes from the Canaanite pantheon. And depending on where you're getting your information, he's a storm god or a god of metallurgy. And I can never seem to nail down why Abraham chose to sign off the covenant or why it was even offered to him in the first place. Isn't there also a whole spin about Yahweh being the donkey head or the god set from the Egyptian? Yeah, there's ties between most any Abrahamic name and some kind of previous religion. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of people that can tie Christ to Dionysus. Um, just the, all the different legends he fulfilled, his abilities. Um, What's her name? Lilith. She gets tied to a lot of deities that came along before that. So I think it's uh, a lot of that's recycled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, another belief is that during that later Old Testament, they, the later prophets, they call them, a lot of that was written, some of it even in Greek, because they were writing in prison. They were in a Babylonian prison, and they were trying to hash out all the their history that they're going to try to pass along. Um, that's one of the reasons why they wrote it in Greek was so it could be shared across the world, you know? But um, even then you see them trying to reconcile. I don't know if you've ever really talked to a lot of Jewish people, but there is a, a really neat um, facet to their religion. They, they do not just accept the word of God as divine truth, shut up and accept it. Like they are willing to negotiate, with God. They are willing to go hold God accountable. Yeah. They're going to haggle with the Lord. <laughs> and I heard this and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding. But uh, I have a kid that's wanting to kind of convert. And we've been to the local temple 
or the synagogue on a couple of occasions. And the day after is almost like a Sunday school. But instead of them just telling you a Bible verse and making you memorize it, like they sit and hash it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they discuss what it could mean, all its possible meanings. Um, What did it mean in this context? And how can we use it today? You know, how can we apply it to our lives today? And I just thought that was so neat that they were willing to negotiate as a collective. I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) It seems like that's a more reasonable approach than the idea of very strict dogma and just following the, whatever the, the written word is, according to the dogma with no questions or without any sort of considering the current times or considering when the word was considered to be written. But do you think that that idea of negotiation with God or negotiation over scripture, is there any tie to the idea of the demiurge and the the concept of the demiurge as like perhaps a a jealous God or jealous creator? I'm not sure if you would call the demiurge a God or if the, the demiurge is somewhat a demigod or less than a god? I don't know, you know. Um. Yes. Upon his creation, Yolabol says, I am a jealous god. There are no gods before me. See, he creates his hierarchy just like the Gnostics call it, the invisible virgin spirit. Both physical and spiritual realms are set up the same. When Yaldabaoth was created by Sophia, which she did on her own accord without consent from the invisible Holy Spirit or invisible Virgin Spirit or her male counterpart because each aeon, as they're called, uh, is an aspect or thought of God and each one of them have a male and a female companion. The whole thing, even the Christ part of it. Christ in this realm has his own entourage and there's 12 of those guys too there. So I find that an interesting connection that there's 12 everywhere or 13 counting him. It's important to remember that a lot of these divine entities had not just a counterpart, there there were counterparts and companions, and there was a little bit of a difference. Um, Ashira, if you've ever heard that name, that was God's companion, but that wasn't God's counterpart. Sophia was God's counterpart, but not Uh necessarily his companion. It's really bizarre (laughs) connection, but Sophia, that is wisdom, and that's one of the divine entities that's alluded to all throughout the Old Testament. You know, like I said, one of the, my favorite books is Wisdom of Solomon, and it refers to her quite often. Right. <laughs> like, plainly, her is also a, a female. It is designated as such. But again, to admit that that was a source of wisdom or anything that wasn't coming directly from God, um, no, we can't have that. Everything has to come from God. As far as the suppression of these Gnostic Gospels, you mean? Well, a lot of the Gnostics will tell you that everything comes from God, good and evil, that there's a balance there, and they don't like that either in the the church structure. (laughs) No, no. Um, Like I said, a lot of times it paints Jesus as somewhat of a Buddhist. And I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the little yin-yang symbol. There's the, you know, the black and the white, but there's also that little bit of white that's in the black and the little bit of black that's in the white because every piece also has a balance Mm -hmm. and to admit that there was good and evil male and female in everything yeah you you can't control a structure like that (laughs) that's too wild of a structure (laughs) mr you mentioned that 
the birth or the creation by Sophia was virginal without her partner or without her male counterpart's influence. Just thinking about this, I thought there was an interesting tie there between the virginal creation by Sophia and the virginal creation of the Christ by the Virgin Mary. Did either of you find that interesting? I wondered if the virginal birth by Mary could have been in some way a retelling of this virginal creation myth or story or, you know, gospel of Sophia. Well, it is the uh, the same story. And um, again, some of the people that would call the first creature Lucifer, they would also call the Christ figure Lucifer, you know, or by its Latin name, a light bearer, light bringer, someone who would bring knowledge. Yeah, they're exactly the same. There's been several. And keep in mind that a lot of those divinities, I think the virgin birth is something that is spectacularized to humans. But if you're talking about a divine God, the necessity of another entity for creation is kind of ridiculous to them. They don't need anybody else. They can create whatever they want without anybody's help. <laughs> True, but there is that sort of... I'm a of, God. <laughs> there is that sort of sexual nature, right, of the male and the female and the other sort of descriptions of these things. I don't know, you know, how much of that is a reflection of sexuality in the way that humans experience creation versus... Um, I think that is to dumb it down for us humans. I really do. The more I studied these, I found out that most of these entities existed way past gender. You know, mm -hmm. you'd see them referred to as masculine and feminine. Again, they're finding the balance, people balance in their writings. But at the same time, it kind of showed that these divine beings, once you get to that stage, that step, that level, that gender's out the window. It's not a necessity. Like, I don't need another gender to create something. I can create something with my powers. So there's no need for a gender. That was very succinctly put, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I was very nice. I think I had a, a slight reference to that in these notes somewhere. Right. Yeah, the gender thing is something that humans apply to it just so that we can understand it. You know, mm, So we can see ourselves in it, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we do see that in, like, the Greek mythology you see that in the Egyptian mythology, you see that in the Roman mythology, Norse mythology, all of these different uh, stories of the gods or the origins of creation. You know, they all have that male-female role in them. And quite frankly, Christianity or Judaism, Islam, with the single God concept, they lack that sexuality, and indeed, sexuality is forbidden, or in many cases, sexuality is an act of sin if it doesn't have the sort of um, decree of sanctity or righteousness or whatever uh, that marriage portrays upon that sexuality in order to make it a divine or non-sinful act. So I do find that interesting that there is this Sort of parallel between the virginal creation of Sophia and the virginal creation of the Christ, etc. But we have virginal creations and and lots of myths. Um, yeah, Krishna was born of a virgin. Prometheus was born of a virgin. <laughs> if I'm not yeah. mistaken, there's always a virgin child, a mother and a father. Always, true, true. Like, always, yeah, always, always. There's always a trinity, and it's really weird that Christianity is just like 
It's the Holy Spirit. Don't pay no attention to that guy. I mean, it's a it's a guy. It's not a girl. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's not a female at all. Don't pay attention to her. I him. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the voice of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was uh, another a good rabbit hole to go down. Was the Metatron, the voice of God, mm-hmm. um, Enoch? Mm-hmm. If you've ever gotten a hold of those books, Enoch walked with God back to heaven. So, like portrays heaven as a physical place that you could actually travel to <laughs> according to the lord like he comes back after god takes him and shows him all the workings of the universe and he comes back and writes like 36 volumes on everything <laughs> he learned and where'd they go that's that's a uh, lot of books man they're buried in the desert somewhere there's lots oh, of holes in the desert <laughs> it would burn up in alexandria i guarantee it. some of it was i, I probably Probably. What remains is under the Vatican, but shh, don't tell me. <laughs> uh, yeah, they uh, kept a lot there. I wonder how much of it's real and how much of it's generated. They found it and thought, oh, we got to keep this under wraps, and it's like somebody's project <laughs> <laughs> for religion class back in 500, <laughs> 600. Yeah, a lot of the Gnostic texts were just negotiations they were people discussing different concepts and trying to incorporate other concepts and other philosophies if you will into the christian structure there was a lot of egyptian stuff that was found i think of what do they call it the book of truth or something Mm -hmm. i think that's what it's called i can't remember which one it was but Oh, the Thunder Perfect Mind. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I, I heard that one. That is another creation the Thunder story. Perfect Mind? Yeah. That's great. What do you know about that? Because I've never heard of that one. I can't remember. A... Research break. Pause. Yeah. <laughs> now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. This whole damn podcast is brought to you by those fine, fabulous folks over at Alchemy Inc. Please reach us at the Blind Alchemy Podcast at gmail.com to provide sponsorship. And now, back to the show. Don't wait on me. I'm not the host or anything. Okay, where were we? Um, somewhere adrift upon the seas of frequency where you'll find me, the Blind Alchemist, with today's guest, Gnome Expert. Gerbert, Gnerbert, 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 come over below. Gnorman. In, insert your name here because I can't say it right now. Gnorman, Gnorbert. Uh, and our very learned TikTok sensation DJ SKS. Like, follow, subscribe, and share, folks. He's a genius. Great mind, this man. <laughs> I'm glad to have him with us today. Welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for hanging out and playing with us. I appreciate it. Man, uh, uh, awesome <laughs> to catch up with you. Yeah, dude, it is. I'm enjoying watching your stuff on YouTube, and that's kind of part of the reason I'm doing this shit, too. Because I was like, dude, Stu and I can fucking do it. Oh, yeah. Man, I had one video a long time ago. Somebody had said something about the books of the Bible the Catholic Church removed. Yeah. I was like, uh, every single one of those books is in my Bible. So I made this <laughs> video showing that, and it went absolute viral. Like, over half a million views. I think it's got like 60-something thousand likes. Oh, that's great. I got like 10, 12,000 followers off of it just right off the bat. Oh, cool. Great. There you go. <laughs> Don't start any fires with that torch of yours, sir. You're acting like Ted. 
No, I know you're jealous of that torch, Ted. I saw the size of it. It was like five feet long. I don't know what the fuck he's setting on fire with that, but by God. Those fine, fabulous folks over at Hairline Production are going to have their hands full with all the editing they're going to do on this episode today. And I'd like to thank them for all their hard work and their valiant effort to making us sound semi-professional and vaguely intelligent. But I'm going to have to have a word with those guys. I think that at the end of all my episodes, it's repetitive, shameless self-promotion. I mean, how many times do I have to say your name during an episode, guys? And you never once include Alchemy Inc. I'm a little hurt by that. We're trying to build a brand and a foundation for our future here, and you're just pissing all over it, guys. I, no offense, appreciate your work. I know you're doing it pro bono, because, you know, we're all uh, broke as shit over here at Alchemy Inc. <laughs> this is why we can't have life. <laughs> DJ SKS, are, are you an expert on gnomes as well? Um, I have done some research into folklore surrounding the the gnome. <laughs> oh, what does the folklore teach you about the gnome? Perhaps I could help you. Brownies and sprites. <laughs> no, those are completely different things. Those are completely different things. But a lot of them stemmed from some Irish folklore. They, uh, the, the whole fairy community. <laughs> the gnomes actually fall under the fairy umbrella. Well, that is one opinion. I mean, we like to think of ourselves. I consider myself an honorary member of the Gnome tribe. We like to consider ourselves our own thing. I mean, the humans tend to try to classify uh, many types of folklore together. Anything that seems to have any sort of uh, mythical ability or magic, they try to classify Gnomes as part of the fairies. And, you know, we are very closely related. There's often interbreeding between gnomes and fairies. Um, and you never really want to be introduced to the offspring of a gnome fairy cross, though they can be quite rambunctious. Well, I'm sure you give one of them the ability to fly. and <laughs> There is a, a very big size differential between the fairies and the gnomes. That's primarily the problem when it comes to crossbreeding between the two. There's not many fairies that can take a gnome, but that's a different sort of uh, discussion that's probably not appropriate for this afternoon. As a humans, you know, we apply our human lens and we have to put you in either the fairy box or the troll orc box. And you don't want to be in the troll orc box. <laughs> oh no, we certainly don't want to be in that box. Me, no. the blind alchemist. Has had the pleasure of meeting an actual orc. <laughs> <laughs> he was the purchasing supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> Where he used to work. Oh, I do want to hear that story. This might be the wrong podcast for it, but I do want to hear that story. Yeah, I'm convinced he was an actual orc. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. There's so much stuff to talk about, and we'll get sidetracked to make jokes. So we, we could probably do this about five hours. <laughs> this is probably 10 episodes right here. I've seen a lot of uh, different directions, and they all try to reconcile in one place and try to get a little bit of value out of all of it. Right, that's the one thing I like to focus on are the common threads between all of these religions. If you can tie them all together, you're gonna get a very strong chord. I think that a lot of religions are just describing the same thing from a different perspective, a different aspect of God itself, whatever God may be, you know. All right, so here's what the wiki on that, Thunder Perfect Mind, it says the opening text announces the seemingly feminine speaker's power and presence. The speaker who was sent forth from a power has come to those who reflect upon them and has been found among those seeking after them. 
let's see what else. The warns not to be arrogant or dismissive of their poverty and shame, but also not to be afraid of their power. Yeah, it kind of uh, pushes away the materialistic greed aspect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like yet another one of the little things that w- was not Christian. It was not Abrahamic at all in its source, but it was included because they thought that it was valuable information, you know, valuable philosophy. Mm-hmm. Do y'all know about Nerea? Who? Gonorrhea? No, I don't have that. Her name was Nerea. Now, you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Right. Do you know why Cain killed Abel? Well, I'm assuming it had something to do with the sacrifices that they made. That was the understanding I had that Cain's garden, he gave him God the shitty vegetables. He said, fuck you, I don't like that. And uh, blessed. Uh, but the sacrifice wasn't just a normal sacrifice. It was a blessing that they were asking for. Uh-huh. They wanted the hand of their sister. Oh, really? Yes, because that was the only female around. <laughs> I'm not buying it. <laughs> Her name was Nerea. Nerea. I've never heard that one. That's interesting. Now, I've heard there's another sister after Seth, but I can't think of her name. That's her. That's the one. Okay. Okay. That's the only ones we're told about is Cain, Abel, Seth, and Nerea. Now, the Gnostics believe that Nerea went on to marry somebody completely different. Another famous character, Noah. Really? (laughs) Interesting. In the Gnostic legend, she tried to board the Ark, and he wouldn't let her. Really? So she breathed on it and burned it to the ground. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. I've never heard that one. Yeah. They empowered the female character quite often. And according to their legend, Rio was the recipient of knowledge. Oh, really? Just like Eve was. And their belief, Sophia came down, not a serpent. It was Sophia that handed yeah. the fruit of knowledge to Eve. And uh, their legend also says she did the same for Nerea. Like, she handed it directly to her, not receiving it through Eve. She got it from Sophia herself. I have not heard that. I feel like I failed in my research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Nerea legend is really awesome. There was lots of stuff. There was a lot of hermetic writings, Mm -hmm. which is just like totally Greek philosophy and has nothing to do with the Abrahamic faith at all. I love that. Yeah, we have done a series upon the seven hermetic principles uh, with our long-witted philosophical expert, uh, Buck Johnson, who is not here with us today. But that's a good thing because he never shuts up. We love him, but it takes forever to get to a point, really. I'm a big fan of philosophy over religion Mm -hmm. because we get to negotiate a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to make your experience your understanding of God is personal as you can. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Does that make sense? You know what Gandhi said? He said, my religion is between me and my creator. There you go. There you go. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Like, I'm the only one that has to make that make sense. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Christianity. They're like, your personal relationship with Jesus or Christ or however you want to say that. But that's a line in everything else. That's one of those common threads that I try to pull on to make my own thing here. We have to put it in our box Mm -hmm. as humans if we can't make it make sense to ourselves. So that's why we all have to find our own way. I don't care what you believe. You're still going to have to negotiate it with yourself and make it make sense. (laughs) Right. You're going to have to understand it in order to implement it because you'll fail if you can't have any understanding. That's really what my whole life has been like for the last like 15, 20 years, more so since 
2016 when I got sober. You gotta understand, I've never really had a grasp on how faith worked. That was always like a weak point for me because I always had like this knowing. Somehow I had knowledge that it's all real, it all works, now I gotta figure out how. I don't know what the fuck role faith plays in it because it's not really helping me right now because without understanding, can you have faith? I find it hard to have faith. Well, I want evidence of everything. Um, I believe that's helped me when I researched this because I have such an objective view to it. I got over my predilection to Christianity probably in my late teens. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tried to have an open mind from their own out with everything that I read. And I searched. I don't know if I was searching for an answer. A lot of times I just wanted to understand why they felt the way they did. Mm -hmm. And I tried not to pull any favorites. I, I want to research it all. And I, th I believe that's the vein in, in which these Gnostics felt is they wanted all the knowledge. Yeah, They didn't really care if it was Egyptian or Greek or from the invisible sky daddy. They wanted the knowledge. If it was valuable knowledge, it was valuable knowledge, period. Um, and that's the way I felt. That's why I don't just completely disregard the Bible. Like I'm not one of those complete like, oh, it's all crap. It's all blah, blah. No, it's not. There's a lot of valuable knowledge there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whether or not I choose to believe everything it says doesn't mean I can't reap some value from it. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in that book. It applies on multiple levels, like psychological, uh, emotional, physical, even. It's multi-layered, and I think that's why it's called the living word, because it has got so many depths and facets to it. Is that what led your interest in the Gnostics originally? Was it a crisis of faith that led you to do some research into that? Or were you just trying to research the history of Christianity? Were you just fascinated when you first heard about these hidden secret gospels that were... Something about their creation story makes more sense to me, okay? There's a spiritual realm and uh, some things went wonky in there and they threw something out here into the physical realm. An imperfect thing because that's what Yoldabolth is, an imperfect deity. So he creates a world in his image, a realm in his, well, he didn't create the realm, he just, what was I saying? You were talking about the creation of the world as we know it in the Gnostic myth. Oh, oh right. It makes more sense to me that that's how like Christianity has this war in heaven, but it never really discusses why. You want me to break your brain right now? <laughs> Go ahead. A lot of the stuff was written in an Aramaic language, mm -hmm. which nobody speaks today. But there is a church that keeps it alive, kind of like the Catholic Church has kept the Latin language alive. It's leftover from the Zoroastrians, if you know who those people are. The Capers of uh, I think it's southern Iraq or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they actually still have and use Aramaic writings. And those guys have a more feminine presence in their creation story, if I'm not mistaken. It's funny how the further back you go, the more balanced it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's the one of the, my interest in the Hermeticism stuff was their philosophy of there's a prime theology. There's a first thing that is actual truth. And we've kind of... The prime mover? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what a lot of the ancient Greeks called it, the prime mover, the first thing that happened, the first truth. That, in the Gnostic myth, that is afterthought, forethought. For me, personally, I don't subscribe to any faith of uh, religions that we know of, I don't guess. I believe a lot of science. Mm -hmm. I believe gravity created everything. <laughs> gravity created our planet. <laughs> right. I'm pretty certain. 
according to physics anyway. <laughs> How do y'all feel about the afterlife? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know what's next. I, there's something we came from and we will return to. And that's part of my attempt to understand the search for what I'm referring to as truth. Uh, because there is a truth, a whole undeniable truth that you cannot we probably can't understand it. We'll never be able to. What's next? That's the truth that we will never understand. Right. I mean, only the dead know and they ain't talking. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Have you seen, I think it's the movie Soul. It's a Disney movie. I have not, but I need to. Yeah. It's a cute little movie about how souls come to earth and stuff. Hmm. I have a bizarre <laughs> soul philosophy. Okay. Land on me. Oh, well. Y'all ready for this? Okay, here we go. I like the idea of reincarnation because of the physics principle that energy can be neither created nor destroyed, right? So I can't, in my mind, reconcile energy leaving this universe. Now we will take a break for some advertisements. Please support our sponsors. Just imagine this could be your advertisement. Please reach us at the blind alchemy podcast at gmail.com to provide sponsorship. And now back to the show. But I don't believe in a one for one exchange. I just I don't see how you can mathematically make that work with all the life on Earth as varied as it is. So I think instead of having a single soul that you have like a, a fluid amount of soul. And when you die, it becomes in a part of a communal pool whenever the next life needs, how much ever it needs. Some of it gets dipped out. It may not be the same amount. So does the soul in this concept exist in a different form of energy? Is it a different sort of vibration than light energy or the energy spectrum that we've observed through science? Or is this... Exactly. Almost like... A lot of your higher physics, when you get to like string theory, they have to resolve in 10 and 11 dimensions. And a lot of times I've tried to figure out what those other dimensions could possibly be. Because there's, there's lots of things that we just don't, you know, include time. We often think is probably one of them. But like density could probably be considered a dimension, you know. In that list, I like to try to fit in a consciousness or that's what I would call a soul. It's an awareness, uh, self-awareness. Maybe it's intelligence, maybe it's not, but I can see it on a scale, you know, in my planet around me. I can see, obviously, a plant has a little more soul than a rock or the dirt, and there are animals that probably have a little more soul or intelligence or awareness than the plant, and some animals have more awareness than others. So is there some sort of quantifiable measure of the soul quantity? Is there a limit to it, or is it infinite, like um, some ideas of the universe? I think everything has its limits. Every property has its limits. That's kind of what happens with the Big Bang, is that all of the matter in the universe attempts to find the limit of density, and it explodes into being again. If you ever study the math of limits, that always gets really, really close, but not quite there. I think before it gets there, it explodes into existence. It seems like you're suggesting something along the lines of the idea that the Big Bang was just part of a cyclical process of contraction and expansion. Absolutely. We call it the Big Bounce Theory. And it's actually becoming a lot more complicated and prominent today. Penrose is one of my favorite physicists that does a lot with this. But 
string theory is falling out of fashion. And there was another theory that was promoted at the same time that kind of got pushed to the side. It's called loop quantum gravity. And it's the idea that the Big Bang wasn't everything. Like, this could happen regionally in the universe. Just a piece of it could collapse and rebirth itself. And there could be a big section of it that's maybe affected, but it doesn't become part of the cycle. But yeah, it's the big bounce theory over the Big Bang theory. It happens over and over and over again. And some of that regionality of this bounce theory could explain why some of the outer boundaries of what we're able to observe at the current time, the laws of Newtonian physics don't necessarily continue to apply to them the farther out you go. Exactly. The same issues that you have with quantum mechanics you see on the larger scale as well. well. Yeah, we're seeing the galaxies that we can't understand how they were formed that early. It's because they weren't part of the same Big Bang. They were part of a different bang. <laughs> Previous bang leftover. Are there any ideas in the Gnostics concepts of the creation story that you find more plausible or more interesting or are you just fascinated with the gnostic creation story do you think of it as a myth or do you think of there's anything practical or applicable in that to modern ideas of science or philosophy well maybe not the creation so much but one of the groups there were two really popular groups at the time the sethians and the valentinians and the Sethians kind of dabbled into cosmology a little bit. And I think, didn't they kind of touch almost on the Zodiac or astrology? But that was probably one of the reasons why they were like, oh, we can't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's knowledge outside of Christ. <laughs> but it's not because it's all Christ. Right, right, right. It's all one. No, we can't have that either. <laughs> Isn't one of the theories in the Sethian following that the Christ was actually in the bloodline of Seth. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, he would have to have been. Because Christ is from Adam, Adam's bloodline. They all descended from that line. As opposed to the Cain. And Cain killed Abel and Cain went off to the land of Nod. So there's nothing about his lineage after that, you know? Where did the people in the land of Nod come from? Who knows? Seems like I saw some chart that showed a whole... Where was the land of Nod? It's to the east of Eden. So, according to their legends, mm -hmm. it's east mm -hmm. of Eden. Yeah, I mean, like, was it somewhere deep in Mesopotamia? See, now that's funny. There's always a flood story. One of the pictorial languages, I think it's uh, Japanese. Their word for home or family is a little boat with people standing in it. It comes from the flood story. In Mesopotamia, Lord Ararat and Noah are the same person. He has a vineyard on the mountain, and he never leaves the mountain. And uh, the king Nimrod is his grandson. So there's some clear form tablets with uh, Nimrod writing to Ararat, asking him how stuff works. And <laughs> spiritual algorithm, I think that's probably the best thing we could, because uh, everything's a fucking algorithm now. That's right. All of existence, it's a vibration, and it's how the algorithm puts the vibrations together. Yeah. <laughs> But what were you saying? Your point was that this Japanese pictorial language, the image of home is like the ark story of Noah. But what was the broader point you were making about that? Just that there's this part of the historical myth of the Great Flood? Or are you saying that yeah. that has something to do with the Sethian ancestral line of the Christ? Yeah. Can I explain the flood myth? 
please. Yeah, go ahead. Lay it on me. Do it. Break my brain again. Here's something to consider because it's in every mythology. When you start looking back, it's in so many different mythologies. As people mm -hmm. propagated the planet, they would have tended to stay near rivers because of resources. So your first cities are always close to rivers and oceans and ports and stuff. And the river basins are the places that get flooded. Mm -hmm. Like we see it today to this day. So like everywhere where there's a great society probably experienced a flood within a hundred or two years at some point in time. So this story falls true for everyone all over the planet. All societies had some place that got flooded at some point in time. Right. So that can easily... Some of them remember that. Yeah, my great-granddaddy told me about that. <laughs> so are you suggesting that if you were in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, but it was 8,000 years ago, this would evolve into some part of your uh, great flood story of your people? Absolutely. Think about the people that lived on an island, one of the Caribbean islands after that, where it was just underwater for a month. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it would seem like it rained for 40 days, even though it probably rained for 10. <laughs> yeah, I apply math to everything. And, you know, statistically, you look at how often this happens today. You look at where humans grew and climate change over the cycle of several hundred years. Yeah, they would have experienced absolute droughts and then been underwater at some point in time, you know. That's just the cycle of our planet. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a reasonable suggestion that these great floods did occur in many different societies. And you know, maybe that is simply a coincidence that each of these cultural religions has the story of a great flood and it was just a common occurrence. I don't think that's unreasonable. Well, I mean, you know, you give it a thousand years. <laughs> How many different floods are you going to see in populous areas? Probably quite a few. Give us a thousand years and see. <laughs> right. We don't have another great flood story coming. So, yeah, they all experienced it. So it fit. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can understand that. Shall we put a bow on this, Mr. Alchemist? Yeah, I think we'll stop here. What? Would you we'll like to uh, come back and have another? I'd love to do this again sometime. Okay, great. We will definitely do that. Had a lot of fun. We've loved it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, DJ SKS. Here in the near future, I'm going to change that over to Lunchbox. Okay. It's, it's a gaming thing that I've used for a long time, and I don't know if you've seen all the little video game videos I've put on TikTok, but I've got several of those, too. <laughs> all right. But, yeah, uh, thanks a lot, guys. It was a lot of fun and hit me up on Messenger and tell me what the next subject is or if we're going to continue with this one. It's been great. Y'all have a good one. Okay. All right. Will do, sir. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here at the Blind Alchemy Podcast. Thank you for listening. I am your host, the Blind Alchemist. Today's guests have been our guest formerly known as DJ SKS and futurely known as Lunchbox. Lunchpail? What did he say, Ted? Garbage pail kids? No, I don't think that's what he's... And Gnorbert? Gnormal. Gnation. Gnostic. Me, it's... Gnorbert. Gnomans. What was that guy's... Why is too many G's, Ted? I don't... Where, I don't know where... The garden section. That's where she said she found them, Ted. But anyway, our resident gnomologist in our future gnome episodes, we'll call you, Nomi. Uh, we'll get you on here. I mean, you have value. We appreciate your value and your input, but you just wouldn't right fit for the topic. Pardon me. It's Gnorman. Gnorbert. 
Mr. Gnorbert. Yes. This is not a silly podcast, sir. Mr. Gnomeologist. I just want to. Uh, we do say not that stop talking. I'm I talking, okay? I'm the Aquabus. This is my show. Oh, fuck. What the hell is that? What happened? The hell? You're breaking stuff in here, okay? You're going to have to leave, sir. If we need any gnome knowledge, I will certainly call you here. Patricia's got your number. Thanks for being here, sir. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, can we find another... I just want to spread the good word of the garden. I'm still... Excuse me? Are you still... Yeah, you're not leaving. Just... You're still talking. I don't understand, Mr. Gnome. Everyone, get yourself a garden now. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been... Well, I don't know. It's been something. Have a gnormous day. No. <laughs> 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 Damn it, Patricia. <laughs> Join us next time for our continued discussion upon the Gnostics and Gnosticism. Gnomes. No, no gnomes dead. No. We're not having... He does look a little bit like Jerry Garcia and he's smoking a joint. I get it. It's cool. But no. Love you, ladies and gentlemen. Be safe out there. Come back and talk to me. All right. We would love to receive your feedback and your questions for advice. Please email us or send us a voicemail. Our address is theblindalchemypodcast at gmail.com. Find, like, review, subscribe, and contact us on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, Twitter, and YouTube at The Blind Alchemy Podcast. All one word. Please subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player. We are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor.fm slash The Blind Alchemy Podcast. Please tell all your friends, enemies, and any strangers to listen to our podcast. This will help us bring joy to everyone. Text-to-speech services were provided by freetts.com and readloud.net. Public domain music for today's show was provided by fmusescore.org. And we would like to extend a special thank you to the world's greatest musicians, sound designers, and engineers at Hairline Productions for their help with the composition, performance, editing, production, and recording of both the original music and today's show. Please like their content on SoundCloud.